Hey, thanks, Stephanie. I'm really excited just to see how that retreat is going to be impacting to the women in our congregation. So seriously, guys, like, just make it easy for your wife, um, aunt, mom. Like, it's not hard. We can do this. So let's help them. do. I love that message. Hey, you know it's fall in Georgia when you get a text on Saturday reminding you that Birmingham is not in the Bible, but Athens is. Um, and so for the Georgia people here, yeah, there it is. Uh, man, great, great Saturday for you guys, Georgia Tech people. You're still really good at math. And so... Um, really love that, that we get to be here and kick off football season together. We're in the middle of a series called Pathway to Dependence. And our vision for the year as a church is really that we would be people who pray like our life depends on it. And prayer really is a pathway to drawing us into this greater dependence on the Lord, really for everything. And so when you came in, you saw these cards on your seats, and these are really just a simple little tool to help us talk about how we're praying during the week. And so we have a question for every week. Last week, hopefully you guys had some good conversation at home, at work. Um, apartment complex, wherever you might be, uh, about how you define prayer. And we heard from Steve about what prayer is. And so I, I'm really hopeful that that was an opportunity for you guys to dig into that idea of well, what is prayer and why do we do that and what does that mean? This week, we want to talk about why we don't pray. Um, so I don't know, for me, when I came in and heard the vision arc of, of the church for the next few years, I was really excited. But when I saw that my first year was prayer, I was a little bit bummed out. I was like, oh man, I really wanted to come in and like get some stuff done. We're just, we're just gonna pray? Like, I'm not good at prayer. Am I gonna have to sit still a lot? Because I'm not good at that either. And so when I was confronted with this idea of a year focused on prayer, something in me was a little bit intimidated. <clears throat> and I don't know if it was like that for you, but I think for some of us, when we're confronted with this idea of prayer, we're confronted with a spiritual discipline that we don't naturally find ourselves doing a lot. And so I want us to take some time today and talk about maybe why that is. What are some of the barriers that are stopping us from being a people of prayer? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 30. This is not a text that is specifically about prayer. It is a text, though, that is centered around the relationship that God's people have with God. When we think about prayer, it really is a reflection of the relationship that we have with God. And I think when we don't pray, a lot of those barriers are revealing of how we're relating to our Heavenly Father. And so a little bit of context of what's happening. <clears throat> this is a time in God's people's history where the Neo-Assyrian Empire is in military ascendancy and they were threatening God's people. And so coming down from the north, Assyria was conquering and murdering everything around them and expanding their empire. And God's people rightfully were nervous about this. And so is, is the leadership, is, is the monarchy and the priests were seeking God's will on how they should deal with this threat. He gave them one really clear instruction. He said, don't trust anyone but me. And that was hard for them. And so really, this is a chapter about trust. And I think what we're going to see is some intersection with some parts of our hearts that don't naturally trust and go to God in prayer in the same way that the hearts of God's people did not naturally trust him in the face of some difficulty. And I think we're going to draw some, some similarities with God's people out of this where we can say, okay, 
here's what's going on in our hearts where it's difficult to connect with the Lord, and, and here's how God responds to that. So the, what we're going to do is jump in just to the first seven verses and talk about, I think, one of the main barriers on why we don't naturally pray. Um, if, Isaiah 30, 1 through 7, he says, Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zion and his envoys reach Hanes, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. An oracle on the beasts of Negeb. He's making a joke here. He says, through the land of trouble and anguish, from where come the lioness and the lion, the adder and the flying fiery serpent, they carry riches on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab, who sits still. So, Geographically, Egypt obviously is to the south of Israel, right? And generally speaking, in this time, really um, all the way up through Rome, Egypt was unnaturally stable in terms of, of what countries looked like. And some of that was their geography. Some of that was their infrastructure and their military. They had a lot of money. And so there is a military stability in Egypt. And so when that part of the ancient Middle East was in turmoil, Egypt was incredibly difficult to conquer. Uh, they were pretty formidable and they had some just natural defenses that made it a safe place, militarily speaking. And God's people had this tendency when they were threatened to trust in Egypt and make an alliance with Egypt because Egypt had this military strength that made a ton of sense to seek out. And so for them, they get a bad rap because we read this like those dumb Israelites. Why would they trust Egypt? Let's not forget what they were facing. Uh, there's, a, there's a stone relief in the British Museum um, during the reign of a king named Ashurbanipal, who was an Assyrian king, and it's a picture of his garden. And in his garden, this is where he relaxed. You see this picture of him that he had made. He's eating, his wives are there. And in the corner, there's a sack of heads. There's a sack of decapitated heads in his garden. Those heads were the heads of Elamite kings who had rebelled against the Assyrians. And so to prove his point about who he was, he took the decapitated heads of his enemies and hung them up like we would hang like lights over the trellis in our backyard. That was just who these people were. And then he made art out of it. So art reflected the values of a culture. The values of this culture were incredible military violence as a way to solve the problem of anyone telling them no. And so it's really easy for us to judge the Israelites, say, man, how could you trust Egypt? Why wouldn't you trust God? This was scary. This was scary. They had absolutely no chance against the Neo-Assyrian Empire. They had no hope on their own. So for them, practically, they said, well, what can we do about this? These weren't morons. This was a very wise strategic decision. They said, who can we make a partnership with that can help us not see grisly death overcome everything about our neighbors, our friends, and our family? Egypt makes a lot of sense. We should talk to them. Why was that bad? Seems wise, right? Well, because God said no. 
at the end of the day, you see that God is very clear with them. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. What looks like practically would be a good thing, God says, no, no, no. When you go to these people for help, you start to worship their idols. They lead you astray. Their strength is empty because it's not even something that's going to last forever. This is not good for you. Here's the application for us in our prayer life. We don't pray because we, I think, make the same mistake. We trust earthly things. We aren't dependent on God because naturally we have this human tendency to trust in earthly things. We don't trust in the Lord. We trust in what we see and feel around us. We trust in the practical. And so instead of being dependent on the Lord for our help, we can be dependent on what makes sense for us. Money is really easy for us, right? Because it gives us a sense of security. We can do things with money. We can feel the freedom that money gives us. We can look at our savings account. We can look at our retirement account. We can look at our home. We can look at our car payment. Like we can look at a budget and we can say, I see how money can provide for me. So I'm gonna be dependent on money. Others of us, we can say, man, I see how my job is going to provide for me. So I'm gonna trust in my job in my career to give me purpose and meaning and salvation. Others of us, maybe it's like a relationship. Man, if I can just find this dating relationship, this person that I can see, feel, touch, and trust in, that's a practical place for me to have dependence. And we don't pray when we trust what is earthly. We make the same mistake the Israelites do. We look and say, what's practical? How can I practically find salvation? And so our prayer life almost seems extra or superfluous. Why would I trust God? I can do it myself, right? Why would I trust God? I have this array of tools or these people or these skills or this aspect of my personality that's going to save me. I don't have to pray. I don't have to pray. So unintentionally, we don't pray because we don't feel that we need to trust God. We would never say that because we're in church, right? Like we're not going to actually come out and say that. But we functionally operate like we have all of these practical, pragmatic saviors, and it makes sense. The way God works isn't practical. Prayer is not practical, right? Being dependent on the Lord is not practical because we can't understand him fully. We cannot always see him working, and we can't control what he does because he is sovereign and we aren't. And that's a recipe for us to say, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I would rather t trust in what I can see, feel, touch, and control because then I'm in charge. I'm in charge. And so just like the Israelites, when we feel threatened, we say, okay, practically, how can I fix this problem? Um, and I don't know what that is that's pressing in on you. I think sometimes it's health right? As parents, like when we have to trust the Lord with our kids, um, like we're, kind of, we're in the middle of this move and I'm watching my kids process it and it's hard because I can't fix that for them. Like there's just aspects of moving and change that I don't have the ability to fix for my children. And I don't know, maybe um, you're different. I'm like, well, I'll just buy them stuff. That'll make them happy because it always ends well. As parents, is let's just buy our kids happiness, right? Like we have a long history of that going, like there's therapists that have vacation homes because parents just bought their kids happiness. And so like there's everything in me as a dad. It's like, how can I fix and control this? I don't tend to trust God first. Not because I'm actively trying to not trust him. It's just there's all these practical things I can do. And we want to be people that do stuff. The Israelites were no different. And God says, don't do it. Their help is worthless. All of those practical places that we want to look pale in comparison to a sovereign God that created the universe. And so as tempting as it is for us to get reeled in to our talent, our treasure, our, our, our whatever, 
God says, listen, I don't want you to trust it because it's empty and it can't sustain you eternally. It can fool you into thinking that, but all of that can go away. The economy can go south. Your job can disappear. Your talent can disappear for a multitude of different reasons. There's just not an eternal trustworthiness in those pragmatic solutions that can compare to a sovereign God who created the universe and holds it all together with his will, right? Just can't. And so we've got to make this shift from trusting into the pragmatic and the practical into trusting the eternal. This would sound crazy if you're an Israelite. Wait, you mean I'm supposed to just pray and hope God does something? What if he doesn't show up? I know the Egyptians are there. They love our money. Like, we can go. I'm supposed to just hope God does what he says he's going to do? That's not practical. It's not practical, but it's better. And we're going to talk about, as this passage unfolds, how our faith in God is going to bring us to a place where we see him show up and meet us in our place of need, right? So we trust in the practical. Here's, here's the second reason. Let's keep going here in verse 8. He says, And now go write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book, that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever, for they are a rebellious people, lying children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, Thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, and whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. And its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of the cistern. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, you don't want to hear from God. Like, you despise the word of the Lord. You don't want to hear from him. So you go to these people that are going to tell you what you want to hear. And he says that that last section about the pottery and the high wall, he's saying that your trust in false seers, false prophets, is like a really bad piece of pottery or a wall that's going to break. Like, it's not sustainable. And he says, you, you don't want to hear from God. And I think sometimes we don't pray because we don't want to hear from God. I don't know it's because we despise his word. I don't, I don't know that that's always true. And sometimes, maybe. But I think we have other reasons we don't want to hear from God. I think sometimes because we know what he's going to say. Right? Like, I could pray about this, but I know what God's going to say, and he's going to ask me to be obedient. And I don't know that I'm ready to hear that yet. Um, I could pray, but I know God's going to ask me to trust him, and I'm not ready to do that yet. And sometimes we don't really want to hear because we, we know what he might tell us. I think other times, maybe we don't want to hear because we're scared of his rejection, right? We might not even consciously realize this, but when we look at our lives and where we are, we can see where we failed. We can see where we're deficient. We, we can see our mistakes. And the weight of that brings us to a place where we have a fear of, if I go to God and pray, what's going to happen if he rejects me? If I go to God and pray, what's going to happen if he doesn't answer my prayer the way that I want him to? If I go to God and pray, he, he might send me away and tell me how bad I am. 
because maybe that's the message that the world's given us, and we just kind of almost subconsciously apply that to the way that God sees us, right? And so I think a lot of times we don't want to hear the word of the Lord because we're scared that it might condemn us or reject us or, or put us in a place outside of God's love. And so we don't pray because we don't want to hear. So we would rather just find those voices that tell us what we want to hear. Who are the people that are going to affirm whatever decision I make regardless of the damage that it causes me? Who are the people that I know that are going to go to and say, yeah, man, whatever, you do you. Who are those people? Because I would rather hear that than take the chance of being rejected by God. What if I pray and he doesn't answer? And there's this fear and insecurity around our connection with God that prevents prayer from being a place that we go because it terrifies us. That terrifies us. And just like the Israelites who didn't want to hear from the Lord, we, we go and find those voices. Like you can, you can always find a voice to affirm something, right? Like the internet's great for that. You can Google around and find the answer that you want to hear to almost any question. And so we would rather take our chances with that than risk rejection from God. And scripture says that those places are not sturdy. They'll crumble. They'll fall. They're worthless. And so we've got to be careful if we slip into this place where we don't want to hear from God, we're going to go want to hear from something else that's not worth our time. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that fear of rejection? What do we do with that, that almost dread of God doesn't love me? Like he loves other people, but he doesn't love me. He answers some people's prayer, but he doesn't answer my prayer. What do we do with that? I want you to stick a pin in that because we're gonna have that question answered for us in verse 18, okay? So that feeling, that barrier, I honestly think is one of the biggest reasons why we don't pray as a people is we truly have this doubt that God really loves us that he's really there for us. And we can say, God, you weren't there when this happened. You weren't there when this happened. I remember just actually this weekend, uh, we were out in our yard. We have some very tall grass in our house. It's really weeds. And my, my youngest comes out there and he's like, there's a kitten in there. And I was like, no, there's not. But sure enough, I go out there. I go out there and I see this, this I mean, he's this big, he's tiny. And it is a tiny kitten whose mom abandoned it. We took him to, um, we took him to the, the Humane Society. They're going to, you know, 50-50, pray for a little T-bone. That's his name. Um, and so on our way back, you know, we're talking, and my boy's like, man, why would God let that happen? You know, why would he let that happen? And that's kind of a cute, you know, funny, furry picture of us questioning God's goodness. But the stakes of that go up, and we ask the same question right? Why would God let my marriage fall apart? Why would God allow me to struggle with this addiction? Why would God allow a family member to suddenly die? Why would God allow me to lose my, like, if God loved me, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And we stay stuck in this space. It's like, man, I can't pray because I don't know that I want to hear the answer because the answer might be that God doesn't love me. I want you to stick a pin in that because God's going to answer that question here very shortly, okay? Here's, Here's the third reason why I think we don't pray. And we can just, our hearts track so easily with the Israelites there. 15, in verse 15, For thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling, and you said, No, we will flee upon horses, and therefore you shall flee away, and we will ride on swift steeds. Therefore your pursuers shall be swift." Did you see where he commanded them? In returning in rest, in quietness, and trust. We don't do that well. We just don't, we don't do that well culturally. We don't do that well as a people. We naturally are wired to be achievers. 
if there's a problem and you don't solve it, then you're lazy, right? Like that's just kind of the culture that we've grown up in. There's some truth in that that is reflected in the Proverbs. We should work hard, okay? This is not like an excuse to not work hard. But here's the reality. We don't like to pray because we don't like quiet and rest. We just don't do it well. Think about even the religious structures that we built as American evangelicals and how much of it is based on our striving and our accomplishments, right? Even when you think about what's a good church, a church that does a lot, a church that gets really big, a church that does a million things, it's not bad to grow, it's not bad to do a million things, but so often all of the structures that we built are subconsciously dependent on us doing a really good job for the Lord. And suddenly, all of our faith becomes about our effort and what we can do. And very quickly, we drown out any space for us to be quiet to listen to what God might want to do. Because we're busy. We're busy, man. We got stuff to do. God's entrusted us with a mission. That's true. He has. He has. But at the core of that mission is obedience. And throughout Scripture, you see this command that as we're following Jesus and doing his work, that we have to listen to him. Our ambition and our desires and our busyness can sometimes get louder than the voice of God. And if we don't get quiet and listen in prayer, we're gonna get confused about what God is saying and what our desires are saying. But we don't do this well. So we don't pray because it would mean we have to slow down. We'd have to wait. I don't wait well. I don't slow down well. Um, I don't do quiet well. I don't do any of that well. It stresses me out. And I think one of the reasons it stresses me out because I'm stepping out of a position of control and doing into a position of waiting and receiving. If I'm quiet, I might not get the answer that I want right now today. What if God tells me to wait? What if he's silent? What if I don't hear from him right now? I might not get to solve the problem the way I want in that moment. And my stress level just keeps going up. What does that reveal? I think it reveals in me a little bit of a lack of trust on the Lord, right? His way might not be better than mine because my way is right now. His way might be later. My way might make me more comfortable. His way might ask me to do something that I don't want to do. We don't naturally do quiet and rest well as a people. We were talking about this last night. Um, we have a men's soccer game here on Saturdays. Anybody can play. It's not like, don't hear me wrong. It's not exclusive. Just show up. It's fine. And, and we were chatting about, man, it's just so hard to get guys together. What is that? And I truly believe that one of the biggest enemies that we have, one of the biggest enemies we have to our spirituality is our schedules. And some of that stuff we can't negotiate. Like you can't go to your boss and be like, yeah, um, I just feel a little burned out right now. I need some quiet and rest. I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna come to work this week. My pastor told me I need to pray. That's not gonna go well for you, right? That's not your fault. Like you can't control that. Our kids' schedules, we have very little control over their schedules. We can't control when the school bus shows up. We can't control when they get out of school. We can't control when their lessons are. We just have a limited amount of control over our schedules. And then we want to spend time with our spouse. Then we have to go to the grocery store. Then we have to mow the lawn. I mean, like so quickly, our schedules put us in a place where we never stop. We never stop. And sometimes we believe that the way out of busyness is to just get busier because eventually I'll conquer it, right? And we never take time to slow down and rest and be quiet. This isn't that different than what the Israelites did. God's like, you guys can't sit still, repent and rest and listen to me. You're like, hey, what's the plan? Let's go. And sometimes God calls us to a different rhythm of life. Sometimes we're called into a rhythm of peace 
of rest, of waiting on the Lord, of quiet, because in those spaces, God shows up and speaks to us in his spirit. It's not always in our busyness and flashy achievement that we put on social media that God shows up. God's gonna do big things. Sometimes God does small things. Sometimes God does quiet things. They're no less powerful. They're no less impacting. They're no less healing. They just don't always look like we decide they're gonna look like. So for a lot of us, if you're like me, rest and waiting is terrifying. It's terrifying. I, I still have the ADHD. I mean, like, I can't sit still. I just can't do it. It's hard for me to sit still. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It puts us in a vulnerable position of trust. And so this is a big one. We are going to be a people that try to make space to be quiet and listen to the Lord this year. It's not going to be easy but we're gonna do it together. You'll notice we're even gonna do it in here, corporately together. We had responsive prayer this week. We're gonna have some more corporate prayer opportunities the next couple weeks where we just wanna slow down and pray. We wanna listen. We want to experience the peace of the Lord. We wanna hear his voice. We wanna be people that wait on God because we wanna trust that his plan is better than our plan, right? So what do we do with this? We have these barriers and they're not insignificant, right? Like it's easy to trust in practical things because it makes sense. It's scary to hear from God if we're afraid that what we're gonna hear is rejection. It's hard to be silent. So what do we do in the face of that? This is the good news. This is why we're here and this is why we worship. This is why God is trustworthy. Remember, he's speaking to his people that have been blatantly disobedient to him for hundreds of years broken every promise they've made, worshiped every other God out there available to them. This is what God says in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. And it goes on to be this beautiful picture of God's redemption and hope for his people. But verse 18, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. How do we break these barriers? What are the five steps to breaking the barriers of why we don't pray? No, 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 no. We don't break these barriers. God in his mercy and his graciousness shows us his love in a way that leads us into trusting him where we slowly start to put down our idols that we hear a voice that doesn't give us rejection and condemnation, but communicates that we're his chosen children. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are in Jesus Christ. God slowly reveals himself to be a God who accepts us regardless of what we've done because Jesus forgave us of our sins. God helps us into a space of quietness and waiting as he grows us in our spiritual maturity. The grace of God is gonna break the barriers that keep us from praying. The good news is it's not your effort. It's not a five-step prayer course that you can buy for me for $5.99. I'm kidding, I don't have one of those. Right, it's not, it's not what it's about. The grace of God breaks the barriers that keep us from praying. As we seek the Lord and know him as our savior, as we're reading scripture and taking the time to pray, God actually works and moves in our hearts. He shows us who he is and who we are. We're reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ, that we're not rejected, that we've actually been made new. We've been forgiven. We've been called God's children, so it's safe to go to him in prayer. That doesn't mean he always answers yes. It doesn't mean he always tells us what we want to hear, but it means that we're loved, 
the core of what we believe about Jesus Christ is that through him and his death and resurrection, we have been made children of God. He calls us beloved, he calls us holy, and he calls us his. And so as we wrestle with this idea of how to pray, we're constantly gonna be brought back to the same reality, that in our challenges and struggle, in our, in our doubt, in our faithlessness, and our busyness, the voice of the Lord is calling to us to trust him, to forgive us of our sins to trust that he has called us to a better life and to trust that he loves us. And so everything that we do here on a Sunday is a reminder of who God is and what he's done for us so that as we seek to be more dependent on him, we are rooted in the foundation of who we are in Jesus Christ. That when we doubt God's love for us, he reminds us through his scripture, right? Through his people and through our worship that we have not been rejected that we don't have to go to God in fear, that we do live in a broken world, but God's not the one who broke it. God's the one who's in the process of redeeming it. And we're going to suffer. We're going to see evil press in on us, but it will never overcome the sovereign Lord who will be victorious over death and evil, right? There will be an eternal victory where we have this glorified life with our Father forever. So God doesn't fix every problem that we see the way that we think he should when we think he should. But we are confident that God is faithful and has been gracious to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the foundation of why we worship. So as we prepare today to come and celebrate communion, this is a tangible reminder that we can touch and taste of this promise that we have so that when evil pushes in and when we find it hard to pray, when it's tempting to trust earthly temporary things, when, when we're scared to hear from the Lord, when, when we don't want to be quiet, it's this reminder that that's okay because we've been made a new creation. Our sin has been forgiven. Death has been overcome. Our hope isn't in our temporary circumstances. It's in the eternal life that we have in Jesus. And so these barriers that we all wrestle with, the good news is they've, they've been broken down by Jesus Christ. And as we continue to experience the truth of who we are in him, we will find that God grows us and removes these barriers and we become a people that has an intimacy with the Lord as we pray that begins to hear from him. That as we realize that our only hope is that we have no other hope but Jesus, our hearts become in tune with his and, and we start to trust him more. And we start to hear his voice affirming us as his children, not rejecting us is not good enough. And that we want to slow down and make space to hear from him because it's good. And so let me pray and then we're going to celebrate by experiencing these reminders of who Jesus is and what it means to be his children. God, we thank you that because of Jesus, we can boldly come to you as your children and not be rejected, not be told that we're not enough or turned away, but that you hear us and that you love us and that you want us to share with you all of the issues and trials that we're facing. So God, help us to trust that you are enough, 
that we don't need to go to the practical saviors the world offers, that, that we don't need to fear what you might say to us because it is good. God, we pray that you would help us to slow down. Give us a desire to be still and to hear your voice. God, I, I just pray earnestly that you would help us to be a people that is dependent on you because when we do that, we see the ways that you show up and we see the ways that you're better than anything else. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.